I'd invite you this evening to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, and I would direct your attention to the words found in verse 18, Luke, chapter 8, and verse 18. Here we hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself during His earthly ministry. And we read, Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given. And whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. This morning we were considering together from the epistle to the Hebrews something in reference to the high priestly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, His office as a priest. And this evening we turn our attention from that priestly office to His prophetic office. Christ, who as the final word that has been sent from heaven, who is exalted and through whom uh, in the Holy Scriptures we hear uh, the voice of the Great Shepherd as it comes to us. And He gives us instruction uh, in this text about the importance of giving very careful heed uh, to how it is that we hear what we hear. What we hear of the voice of Christ speaking in the Scriptures is to be attended with special uh, care. The public worship of God is the pivotal force in framing the piety of God's people. And within that public worship is the ordinance of preaching, which has a central uh, position uh, within the life and work of the church of, of Jesus Christ. And this preaching is an active exercise of both uh, the minister and the people, both the preacher uh, and the people. We are not to think in terms of coming uh, to the ministry of God's Word and merely plopping down, as it were, in our pews, but rather, uh, rather than sitting passively under the ministry of the Word, we're to roll up our sleeves and we are called upon, both as preacher and people, uh, to work together in the hearing of, of God's Word. We can think of it, the children can think in terms of tossing a ball, perhaps to their brother or sister. There has to be one both that is throwing the ball and another who is attentive in catching or receiving uh, that ball. And so it is as the Word of God goes forth from the pulpit and from the ministry of His Word, there is an essential place in terms of uh, our giving heed unto how we hear. And so we're turning our attention especially to this, this specific text in anticipation of what is actually unfolding within the life of your own congregation. So you are preparing for a minister whom the Lord has graciously raised up and whom he is sitting, sending to labor among you as an under-shepherd and to bring, to open up the treasure house of the Holy Scriptures and week by week to feed you with the precious things that come from God's Word. And with that in mind, with the coming installation, which lies on the immediate horizon, uh, God willing, uh, I seek, uh, I'm seeking with the Lord's help 
to, to, to furnish you with some instruction in, in anticipation of that, giving both Him aid as He prepares to come and giving you aid in your preparation to receive His, His ministry. It's striking that there are literally hundreds and hundreds of books that are written on preaching, hundreds of books written on preaching, and very few, if any, on hearing preaching. And that seems to me to be um, a problem, right? A dis, a disproportion. It's interesting that in the Westminster Confession in chapter 21, when it is actually listing the components or elements of worship that God has appointed for His worship, it, it, it includes both the sound preaching and the conscionable hearing of the Word. The conscionable hearing of the Word is set apart alongside the reading of Scripture, the singing of psalms, the preaching of Scripture, and the Lord's Supper, prayer, and so on. But you'll notice that word conscionable, conscionable hearing of the Word. And you, you can immediately recognize, even if you don't know the Word, you can hear the word conscience, can't you, in that Word. It's speaking about showing regard to our consciences as we hear the Word. In other words, hearing is an ethical matter, that, that hearing is something, hearing the sermon or hearing the preaching of God's Word is something that we are to be alert and careful uh, about in, in terms of how we exercise our souls under it. And so, uh, this evening, with the Lord's help, we'll consider this theme of profiting from preaching, uh, especially drawing from Christ's own words, take heed, therefore, how ye hear. And there are three things that we'll especially seek uh, to highlight. First of all, preparation. So, profiting uh, from preaching begins with preparation uh, for preaching, and this is something that takes place prior to us actually being under the active ministry of the Word, the, the, the preaching or the sermon itself. And where, where is it that we look with regards to preparation? The first thing that I think we need to note is the biblical mandate to pray for both the preacher and the preaching. So long before we actually find ourselves in our pews, how often does the Apostle Paul, the, the Apostle to the Gentiles, perhaps you know, one of the greatest preachers in the history of the entire world, you would think if anyone was well-equipped with gifts and graces and who had, through all of his varied experience, a sense of confidence in preaching, surely it would be the Apostle Paul. And yet, everywhere in all of the Apostle Paul's epistles, he is pleading with the churches to pray for him and to pray for his preaching. So, in 2 Thessalonians 3, you know, the opening of that chapter, it speaks about praying that the Word would be given free course and be glorified. Or you, you think in, at the end of the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 6, you see both uh, a call to pray for the preacher and the preaching. In verse 19, having said, praying always with all prayer, he says in verse 19, and for me, that's the preacher, that utterance may be given unto me. That's the preaching. 
that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And the fact is that sort of language is found woven throughout uh, all of Paul's uh, writings. He's saying that we have an obligation to pray for both ministers of the gospel and their, and their ministry itself. What that means is that for the, the people of God, there is an, a contribution that is being made to preaching. So you think to yourself, well, I have not been called I, I have not been commissioned by Christ. I obviously cannot run unsent. I haven't myself been called to be a preacher. But it would be a misnomer for you to think that therefore you have no part to play, even in the ordinance of preaching itself. That there is a spiritual contribution that is made among God's people in laying up uh, service and help in prayer for that preaching. Praying for your own soul to receive the seed of the Word, to pray for others in the congregation and the prophet that they would receive, to pray for the minister himself, to pray that the Lord would be pleased to own His Word with power from heaven. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. It's an exercise in futility. Think how, humanly speaking, how weak is preaching as an ordinance. It's breath. What's weaker than breath? You know, you, you could blow. You blow on your hand. You blow on the, the wall in the building. You can't move it with your breath. Right? Humanly speaking, it's something that's, that's a you know, graphic picture of weakness. And yet, it's the appointed ordinance through which the power of God is displayed. It's God's blessing, God's presence, God's power that takes that ordinance of preaching and makes it efficacious within the souls and hearts of men, which brings transforming influences in its wake. And so that blessing has to be sought from the hand of God and from the throne of God. Some of you will remember that old proverb, if you will. I think it comes from among the Dutch churches where they would say, pray, the ministers would say, pray me full, and I will preach you full. Pray me full, and I will preach you full. What happens when the people of God are doing this? There's an investment in the ministry of the Word, in the preaching of the Word. That investment results in expectation. If we have, by the grace of God, in the exercise of our souls, asked with faith for the Lord to give His help, His presence, His Spirit, His power, His blessing to the ministry of the Word in the study and in the preparations as well as in the execution within the pulpit, we come looking for answers to prayer. We come expecting that the Lord is actually going to grant what we've sought, right? There's an elevated sense of expectation What is the Lord going to do? How is He going to do it? What is He going to bring? And what blessing will come as a result of that? All of this is preparation and taking heed as to how it is that we hear, right? The seed of the Word is sown. And that, that of course, is affected by uh, the the condition of the soil in which that seed is sown, the, the souls of men. 
And so we have to give heed to the spiritual disposition of our own souls. There needs to be a teachability. We take language from the psalms that we sing, and then we employ them ourselves in prayer. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. The Lord comes with a promise, and He says, open thy mouth, and I will, I will fill it. And so there's, there's a teachability, a teachableness, a desire to see the things of God, that that my eyes might be open, that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. You know, it's the, uh, there's the, the picture of children, right? That sense of wonder when they, they discover something new, something that they hadn't seen. And there's, there's that, you know, the, their faith lights up. And there's something in that, that the, the soul so desperately needs, and a, a hunger and thirst for the Lord in these things. There needs to be meekness. James uses that language, receiving the engrafted word with meekness. So instead of, instead of there being hurdles and barriers and insulating ourselves and protecting ourselves from the Word of God, there's bringing down all of those, all of those guards and an opening, as it were, of our souls and consciences to the light of the Word of God to be shined in into the depths of them, for the scalpel of the Word to be brought to the quick within, within our souls, right? There's, there's a meekness and a humility under the Word. We're, we're being called to receive what God says, not to contend, not to argue, not to weigh and determine whether we'll dispose of it or lay hold of it, and so on. No, the engrafted word is to be received with meekness. It's also to be received, of course, with faith. So in Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 2, making reference to the Old Testament saints who had, who had the word of God, it says in verse 2, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, that is, those who were in the wilderness with Moses, but the word preached did not profit them. Well, that's, that's the language of our, the title of our sermon, right? The, the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. And so there must be the mixing of our hearing, our anatomical ears, our, our hearing, physical hearing, has to be accompanied by the grace of God with the hearing of the soul and the, 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 the mixing of our hearing with faith, believing, adding our amen to what God says and receiving it as the word of, Lord, of the Lord. It means that there needs to be hunger pains. There needs to be hunger pains. There should be a sense of need. Right? What do, hunger pains are the physiological experience of your body saying, I need nourishment, I need nutrients, I need food. Well, there's something comparable spiritually. We need a sense of need that creates that hunger and thirst for righteousness and so on. And so there's, there's Job, and the language of Job is, Job says that he esteemed God's Word more than his necessary food. Right? That's the language of our translation. Or you think of, of Jeremiah when he says, Thy word was found, and I did eat it, and it was the joy and rejoicing 
of my heart, O Lord God of hosts. There's this sense of hunger, of need before the Lord. And so, the more we see our sin, the more we see our brokenness and our weakness, and we see our, fo- our foolishness, and we see all of the, the things that need to be subdued within our own hearts, there's this sense of, Lord, we need, we need a word from heaven. We need the power of the Scriptures to be brought to bear in our, in our own souls. But there's also with this, there's even the practicality of physical preparation taking heed how we hear. I mean, we, we, can't, we can't indulge the flesh and, you know, stay up late and, and not give adequate sleep. In Psalm 127, we, we sing that the Lord, the Lord says that it is vain for those who stay up late and get up early, for He giveth His beloved sleep. There needs to be adequate sleep. That's a, there needs to be sense of personal responsibility with regards to that. In reference to preaching, there needs to be a sense of personal responsibility that, that we are recognizing we cannot come carelessly into the house of God and spend all of our energy on what pertains to the flesh and not give our strength and attention to what matters most, the things of Christ. Right? It means giving adequate time uh, to preparation and getting ready. How, how often does the devil come to families on Sabbath morning? Things that never happen any other day of the week that introduce all sorts of tension and stress and so on. And there, there, there should be a sense of anticipating this, that of, of course this is going to be the case. We are, we are in the middle of a raging spiritual war and, and the most important day with the most important event and the most important uh, ordinances that the Lord gives us all are coming together and there's going to be attack. And so there has to be then anticipation of that, right? Adequate time allotted, breathing room for all of the emergencies that come up. It means going over the the order of worship is sent to you the day before. You can read the text. You can, you can begin to meditate upon it and think of questions and begin to pray over it and prime the pump of your own soul to come ready to receive the Word of God. It means, of course, regularity and attendance. It was Christ's custom to be on the Sabbath day in the synagogue. It was the same in the early church where they gathered week by week. We're told that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of, of some. And that, that, that habitual study of the Bible on our own in the private um, worship and the, the private place within our own houses, that, that, that labor of, of thinking about the Scriptures and studying them and meditating upon them and so on, all of that is preparation. We're accustomed to digging. We're accustomed to thinking. We're accustomed to searching. When we come under the ministry of the Word of God, we expect that that's going to be part of of what the Lord gives to us and requires of us. We recognize in terms of preparation that we are coming to have an audience with the King of glory. Right? The big picture. What, what exactly is happening? Heavenly transactions are taking place. Heaven and earth being brought together in the public assembly of God's people. Christ coming by and through His Spirit 
to manifest His presence in the, the midst of His people, we are coming for an audience with the King of glory. God has promised that He will meet with us. God has promised that He would speak to us. And so there's, a, there's again a sense of anticipation that this is not a casual thing, a formal thing, a routine thing. This is a significant, the most significant thing. That the God of glory has prepared a word for me. Do you think that way? Do you think to yourself that God has, I am coming to the the house of God to receive a word from heaven that God has prepared for my soul in particular, specifically? That's how we ought to think. You know, there are those who say to, to their pastor from time to time, and mine have said to me, you know, I think you're spying on us. You know, you, you must have been spying on some incident that happened this week in the home or whatever else. And of course, we smile at that. We know that, of course, is not at all the case. Something far greater is happening. The God of glory sees all these things, knows all of these things, the intricate details. And it is that God of glory who is sending His servant forward to filling his mouth with the word and and bringing that word to his people. And it's the Lord himself who's bringing the word to our souls. So we ought to come expectant that there's going to be a word come, that the Lord will bring us a word that will change our lives, that we should expect the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that questions we have are going to be addressed and answered. Needs that we have are going to be supplied, that our souls are going to be engaged What will the Lord do? What will the Lord say unto us? This is preparation in order that we might profit from from preaching. But then secondly, there is participation. So there's preparation, but then secondly, there's also participation. Now we're thinking not so much of what happens before preaching, but during preaching. Here too, we're to be praying. You think of Aaron and her holding up the hands of Moses. As long as they held up the hands, uh, Joshua was able to go forward and advance and winning the battle. And there's a picture in that, as you've so often heard over the years, no doubt. The people of God praying, even during the preaching of the Word. Right? We're, we're to be active. We're not to be passive. You, you should expect, when you go to school, you come into the classroom with anticipating that you're going to be required to work. You don't just flop down and sit passively in the classroom. And how much more with that which is far greater than just, you know, learning your math lessons and, you know, your science lessons and so on. Here we're coming to think about the things of of eternity and of God and of His Holy Word. We should expect to be active under and during the preaching of God's Word. Christ's words are, whosoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. If we have ears, let him hear. There's to be this personal transaction. There should be even aggressive on our parts, aggressive work. You think of how often this comes up in the book of Proverbs uh, for, for example, in Proverbs 18 verse 15 the heart of the prudent getteth knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeketh knowledge. There's to be a seeking. There's to be a searching. We should be coming 
to the Word of God and preaching with questions. We should be coming thinking, you know, drawing applications. You know, how, how is it that this touches on sins in my life? What, what consolations does this bring? What promises address the needs that I have? How does this apply in the particularity of my home and family or work and, and perhaps personal life and, and so on? There's engagement under the ministry of the Word. This, you know, this takes effort on our parts. We have to bring our brains to the preaching of the Word of God as well as our affections and our consciences and our volition and every other faculty of our souls. And it's true, some texts, some Scripture texts are harder, some are simpler. And it's true, some sermons are better and some not as good, humanly speaking. But the Lord comes to feed His people, young and old, strong and weak, nonetheless, and He comes to apply that Word to us, and so we're to attend upon the Word. That word attend is actually, again, drawing from Latin, it's two words, right? It's, it's the preposition to, and then stretch, to grasp. To attend on the ministry of the Word is to stretch and grasp the Word that is coming to us from the Lord. Not to be merely a spectator, but to be laying hold of that word. And you say, well, pastor, sometimes the sermon is, you know, is, is poorly organized or something else. That's fine. You can, you can even add order to it yourself as you're hearing it, thinking of how the dots connect and how these things are build upon uh, one another. You're to be looking for answers to what, this, what the text says and what its implications are and and there are times when you say, well, we've, we've sat under bad preaching, and it's true. We've all sat under bad preaching. For ministers, we've been the culprits who have been guilty at times of, of bad preaching. But do you know that when the Word of God is being preached in truth, when Christ is being preached, when the whole counsel of God is being opened up, it does not matter how bad the preaching is. We can, should and do derive blessing and benefit from it. The Lord comes through these weak, and, these weak and broken means and by the Spirit uses them to bring home good to our own bosoms. You think of the conversion of Charles Spurgeon and there's a man who knew how to preach and yet he himself was converted under the preaching of a nameless nobody who was not particularly gifted and without a particularly good sermon and yet the Holy Spirit used it to bring Charles Haddon Spurgeon from death to life in his good pleasure and sovereign grace. You can ask yourselves, at times it's helpful to keep it simple. And you, you think to yourself, well, two questions. What does God want me to believe? So what is it that the passage is telling me to believe? That is our doctrine and the truth that we're to believe. And the second question is, what does God want me to do? in response to that, that truth. What is it that He would have me change? What is it that He would have me repent of? What sins are being confronted? And so on. And so we're to watch. We're to watch over our souls during the ministry of the Word. Take heed as to how it is that you hear. You're to watch your soul for resistance. 
There are times when you begin to feel that resistance kind of, it's, it's, it's beginning to stir, it's brimming up within your mind. There's something reactive under the preaching of the Word of God, something you, you don't like, you know, something that you're tempted to, to, to begin to, to create space between yourself and, that, and, the, and those truths, something that you're beginning to resist. You're to be alert to that. Right? Instead, we, we use the language that we sing in Psalm 139. Search me, know me. See if there's any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Right Here it is. We're saying, oh Lord, search me out. And grant that, that all of the, the native, sinful, natural resistance that would be, that would be held up to, to shield and protect ourselves from the implications of God's Word, that that would be broken down and broken through that we would also watch against superficiality. We can be superficial. We're content to allow the Word go in one ear and out the other. And we feel as if we've, we've accomplished something significant because we've merely sat under the Word of God without ever engaging that Word. How many swim in the shallows all their days, shallow as a cookie sheet, never ever coming into the depths of the riches and wonder of what God gives to us. There's worldliness as well. You think of those soils that Jesus describes. You have the good soil, of course, and you have the the shallow soil that springs up with great joy and then dies out. Then you have those who are, you know, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. And so the seed of the Word is being sown in your heart, and yet your preoccupation with the things of this world and the deceitfulness of riches capture your imagination and engage your affections, and draw away your hearts. And you can go through the motion spiritually of being in a Reformed church and doing the Reformed thing, but your heart is found elsewhere. And it is coming and it is choking the seed of the Word out. And it's coming up and wrapping itself around you, around your own heart, this worldliness. You know, we can look out and say, well, you know, we and our circles, we, we don't do this worldly thing and that worldly thing and the other worldly thing, and yet there are sterilized forms of worldliness within even the best Reformed churches where we think, well, our jobs and money and these things, these are lawful things, and yet it's really a thin veneer at times for worldliness, choking out the Word. We need to watch out for these things. We need to be receptive in our understanding. We need to be careful against, under the ministry of the Word, careful against distractions, both external and internal ones, right? The, the Puritans would speak of how, you know, the minister is in the pulpit and he's shooting arrows and there's the devil at his elbow and he's shooting his own arrows out into the congregation. The, the arrow of the Word is being fired out into the congregation. The devil is just as quick sending his fiery darts Along, alongside them, harnessing his own ammo. And there are all sorts of, there's external uh, distractions that can pull us away, but the far more powerful ones are the internal ones. Our thoughts beginning to head in this direction and that direction about things that aren't even appropriate for the Sabbath day. And we begin to think about work or our recreations or other things that, uh, that interest us and so on. You know, there's a choice There's a choice at these points. There's a choice to either refuse or to accept these distracting thoughts. You can tune out 
preaching, but you can also tune out distractions. You know, we have, my wife has a bird, and that bird, you know, chirps. And initially, you know, I'd be reading or studying or thinking and praying, and you'd hear this bird, and you, you, initially you would think, you know, it'd kind of draw your attention from whatever you're doing to the bird. But sure enough, you can turn that bird off, not even bird exists anymore. I don't ever hear the bird. Does the bird still chirp? It does, but I can't hear it anymore, right? It's been tuned out, as it were, most, most of the time. And there's, there's something here praying that the Lord, by the Spirit, uh, through His grace and dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ, would rivet our minds to bring them back, to fixate upon the Word of God, and to prevent them from drifting and being pulled away. Right, to actually wrestle in order to hear spiritually the truth of the Lord's Word. If you think of Beethoven, the, the classical composer, right, he went deaf. He went deaf and he would stick, he would put a stick in his teeth and then, and then touch it to the sounding board in order that he could still somehow detect the sounds. Right, he, was so, he was so earnest and so eager to be able to, to engage in the composition of music that he went to these great pains and ends. How much more for the Lord's people to fight in dependence upon Christ to get the Word into, your, into our ears and then into our minds and then into our hearts that the Holy Spirit would open the doors of our hearts and bring that Word with power to us, to maintain our expectation about the Word that God is bringing to us. We don't know where the gems will drop. I mean, you can be in a sermon and under the ministry of the Word, and it's on one thing primarily, in the most unexpected place, in a side part of the sermon, perhaps something even the minister hadn't himself prepared to say or preach, and the Lord brings you little gems that come and bring blessing to your own soul, that address the needs of your own soul, right? There's attentiveness. There needs to be an appetite, an appetite for the Word of God. To have our, it's interesting that our appetites as well as the provision of food are gifts from the Lord. So we pray at meals that the Lord would bless the food and we thank the Lord at meals that He provides the food. We should also be thanking Him that He gives us an appetite to eat the food. And it's spiritually the same, that the Lord would both deliver that bread which comes down from heaven, that bread of life, that He would come and give to us the, the Word that, that is the manna from heaven, that He would provide that, that we wouldn't know what it is to have a famine of the Word, the most tragic, catastrophic of all famines, a famine of the Word, that yes, He would provide the Word in preaching, but He would also provide us with the appetite to eat it. He would provide us with an appetite to savor it. We recognize that the Lord gives in our normal course of experience, you know, three meals a day and seven days a week, and we don't expect to eat everything for a month. And it's the Lord comes in little pieces. It's not as if He, in every sermon, delivers a month of spiritual nutrition. But it is living upon that manna day by day in our private worship and week by week in the public worship, God giving precisely 
what we need and continuing to bring to our remembrance, as Peter says, those things. But then thirdly, we have practice. So there's, there's this preparation before, there's, there's participation during, but then there's also practice after the preaching of God's Word. You know the example of the Bereans in Acts 17, how they were more noble than those of Thessalonica because they received the word that Paul preached with all readiness of mind, and they searched the Scriptures daily to see if those things were so. And so they took what they were hearing, and then they went back to their Bibles and opened it. And comparing Scripture with Scripture, not only were they confirming that the word that they've heard is in fact the word of God, what the Scriptures teach, but it is being further reinforced and massaged into their souls by their own study of the Scripture. Right here you have this post-sermon activity of thinking and seeing and having the power of the Word worked into our own souls. This nutrition that's been supplied has to be absorbed. You know, you have that condition where people will eat food and then they force themselves to vomit and then they eat food and forth and they become emaciated right they they begin to to shrivel up and and to lose you know atrophy of muscle and to become seriously ill and and thin because there's there's no ability for the nutrition to be absorbed into their body so it is with the scriptures so it is under the preaching of God's word these things need to be worked into our souls. We need to think about what we've heard. We need to meditate about what we have heard, meditate on what we've heard. We need to study the things that we have heard. We need to be conscious that as Jesus taught us, the devil does come like the fowls of the air to pluck away the seed. The devil is going to come and seek to take the seed that has been sown into our hearts. And therefore, we need to be protecting that seed through thinking and meditating and praying and studying what the Lord brings. It includes discussing it, right? This is one of the ways in which the Word is, is further massaged into our, into, into our hearts is by discussing it. What a wonderful way of reinforcement. When the people of God go to one another and say, this is how God spoke to me, and this is what was helpful, and this is what was <clears throat> especially uh, powerful to me, what does that do? Telling it to someone else reinforces it in your own soul, right? It's, it's burying it deeper into your heart and mind. It's getting glory for the Lord. It's bringing blessing to your brother. And when, there's, when the corporate church is all engaged in this sort of thing, discussing the spiritual things that God is teaching them, you not only take away the, you know, perhaps there's one or two things especially that the Lord brought home to your bosom. You not only take away that, but by hearing what all of the other people in the congregation are commenting on, you benefit from what they've learned as well, and things that stood out to them that perhaps you missed. And so it was, and always has been, in the Old Testament, in Malachi 3, in the New Testament, all through the book of Acts, and through the history of the church, the people of God, much in the main things, and discussing the things of God what it is that the Lord has brought to us. Others will catch things that we missed, and likewise, we will be able to give to them things that they missed. But it also entails implementing, applying the Word. 
James says we're not only to be hearers of the word, but doers also. Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, gives us that picture, contrast, those who build their house upon the sand, those who build their house upon the rock. Those who build their house upon the rock are those who not only hear, but do the word of God. And the storms come and the winds and all the beating upon the house and it stands because it's built upon the rock, upon the stone, the application of the Word of God. And so this is a recurring theme all through the Old Testament and New Testament. The sin of forgetfulness. The second most common sin in the Old Testament after idolatry is the sin of forgetfulness. How often we're told, remember, remember, remember. And then in remembering to have our understanding informed all to the end of having it implemented and applied into our souls. The failure to do, the contentment to only hear and not do is disobedience to God Himself. To not do what the Bible requires. To do those things that it forbids, we know, is the nature of sin and transgression of God's law. These are the basics, the ABCs of of biblical religion. And so we need the Lord's help. Who can do such a thing? Who's sufficient for such things? No one. No one is able to. No one is sufficient for such things. Are we responsible for them? We are. Are we accountable and culpable? We are but incapable in and of ourselves. It brings us, doesn't it, to a sense, an acute sense of dependence upon Christ. We are a mass of sin in need of a massive Savior. We need the Lord to come and redeem and save us and to wash and cleanse us. And it is through His purchase work of salvation that that is given to us. And then, as, as sinners are brought to faith to close with Christ in the gospel, to lay hold of Him by faith, as we were hearing this morning, we live by faith in the Son of God. Those who are in a state of grace, who are soundly and savingly converted, who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, live their whole life in dependence upon Christ. Without Him, we can do literally nothing. And so we draw by faith upon the resources that are found in the person of the exalted Son, and we, 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 we look constantly as the, as the handmaid looks to the eyes of her mistress. So our eyes look unto the Lord in dependence upon them. Oh Lord, grant me help to hear the word, to receive the word, to believe it, to love it, to digest it. Give me grace, O oh gracious God, that this word would be brought home in its application. That I would not be content to merely hear it, but that I would be enabled to do it unto thy glory, right? We cry out to the Lord for these things, that he would enable that word not only to be brought for our own selves, but for all of those who are around us, praying for the children and young people and the old people and the middle-aged people and those whom we know well and those whom we know less well, to pray that the Lord would bring his word with power to them and that the fruitfulness might be manifest. That is, the seed of the word is sown in the soil of men's hearts. That he would bring forth thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. If our chief end is to glorify and enjoy him, then we ought, to have a, we, have, we ought to have an earnest interest in the Lord gathering glory to himself through the fruitfulness of his word. 
And to that end, we really end where we began. I said that our preparation begins with praying for the preacher and the preaching. And really, we end on that same note. We come away from the sermon and we water that seed with our prayers. Would thou, O Lord, not follow thy word. Follow thy word with the blessing of thy spirit. Grant that the devil would not snatch away the seed of the word. Grant that thy spirit would bring it home with power to all of the hearts of we who have heard it. And so we're praying in the end, after it's all over, for the blessing of God upon that word as well. Not just the consistory, but the whole visible church and seeking the Lord for these things. For the believing people of God, right? this listening, this hearing, this taking heed how we hear, it actually equips the people of God for service to others. We're able to take the things that we've received and give. All of the bounty that is given doesn't terminate with us, doesn't end with us, but we're out of those resources able to supply to the need of others and encourage their souls and direct them to the truth as it is in Jesus and to speak a word in season to those who are weary and heavy and so on. It equips us in service. But it is also, there is something to be said about the fact that our giving heed to how we hear itself brings glory to the King. We're honoring we're honoring the King in our attentiveness to His voice. We're honoring Him by looking and saying, O oh Lord, magnify Thy Word above all Thy name. Right? That we would see the Word of God in all of its luster and beauty and attractiveness and power the spiritual efficacy and energy of that word brought home to our souls that the Lord would be gathering glory to Himself so that our, our ambition, spiritual ambition, is not merely getting gain for our souls, but getting glory for the King, that He would glorify Himself through His word. To that end, we take heed as to how we hear. So sermons are like meals as we've been describing it. The Lord comes, the great husbandman, the great shepherd of the sheep comes and he provides food on the tables of his congregation as it were. And we are to prepare for those meals and we are to consume and spiritually feed upon that word ourselves. We're to digest by the ministry of the Holy Spirit uh, that word, that, that, that manna in our own souls, and we're to seek that God would grant the use of the spiritual nourishment to furnishing us with grace to equip us in service to Him. You look out over the horizon of the week that is to come. You anticipate a minister traveling across the country and coming and moving and unpacking and settling here. You anticipate the installation uh, God willing, next Sabbath and this week that is to come and, and all the, the, the inception and beginning of, of a new ministry uh, among you. This, my friends, is a good place to direct your attention 
over the course of this week to be thinking as the minister comes not just from Iowa, but comes, as it were, from the throne room of heaven week by week with the Word of God, thinking we must take heed how we hear. Our souls depend upon it. The advance of the kingdom depends upon it. Glory of God depends upon it. The fruitfulness of our pastor depends upon it. May the Lord grant us help and give us for His own glory blessing in these things. Let's stand together for prayer. Our gracious and eternal God in heaven, we bow down again before Thy majesty. And we are thankful that Thou art a God who is not silent, but that Thou art a God who comes and who brings Thy word, that Thou hast spoken in these last days through Thy Son, and that we have in the Holy Scriptures nothing added to them, nothing taken from them. But in these Holy Scriptures, we have the voice of the Great Shepherd. And we pray, O Lord, do magnify Thy Word among us. Give, we pray, help to this Thy congregation, uh, that as they prepare for a minister to come and be settled among them as a pastor, uh, grant that there would be a season that lies ahead of great spiritual fruitfulness here. The Spirit coming with power to the conversion of sinners and in the equipping and sanctifying of a believing people. Grant, O gracious God, that there would be days of great profiting under the preaching of Thy Word. Do what we ask for Jesus' sake, in whose name we pray. Amen.